Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Susan Kalman, and welcome back to Susan Kalman's Mrs. Brightside. Thanks for downloading the show. I'm just I'm going to be an influencer that's what I'll do I'll, yeah. be, an, I'll be an influencer and I realised at that point I'd leant over the table to get the remote control and I had beans on my boobs <laughs> I'd leant into my lunch plate and I thought that's why I'm not an influencer well you could you could um, promote beans couldn't you I've got Heinz beans, boobs. beans. <laughs> Heinz bean boobs last year I spoke to eight people about their tricksy mental health and this year I'll be chatting to eight more I've been in therapy for since I was 16 so I'm very I'm very into the whole mental health thing. Basically, uh, my brain is, <laughs> is is a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy old place yeah. in there. I'm doing this because I want people to be more open about their mental health. And I know sometimes it can be difficult to define what that means. So we're going to be having a frank and open discussion. No parameters, no written questions, no definitions and no pop psychology. It's important for you to know that these are not therapy sessions. I am not a qualified psychiatrist, no matter how much casualty I've watched. They're just honest conversations about what we think and feel about our own heads. This week I spoke to Sophie Hagen, a close friend and someone I admire greatly. We talked about everything from activism to trolls to just how to live life as best as you can. Is that us? The producer has managed to press a button. <laughs> ben, I don't mean to do down what you're doing. That sounded very cruel, didn't it? But you did li- just literally press a space button on a computer there. That's what you did, wasn't it? He refuses to talk. You know, you listen to these podcasts and the producers join in and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not this one, eh? There he is. It's refusing. all giggly. Very giggly, though. He's very giggly, isn't like, he? I don't want people to imagine that he's all like cool in the corner being yeah, like, What's like James up? Dean. No, no yeah. he's just sitting giggling, isn't he? And he's trying to shrink down underneath the table as well at the moment. So, um, Sophie Hagen. Hello. Um, I know you very well. Yeah. What I always like to do at the start of this podcast is get people to introduce themselves and say what they think they do so that I'm not saying what I think you do. So please introduce yourself to the tens of hundreds of people listening to this podcast (laughs) right now. Ten hundred people? Ten hundred people, yes. Uh, I am a stand-up comedian. I am an author, I guess. There's a book out, so technically I'm an author. Mm -hmm. And I am, I think, also an activist and... Someone has been, people have been asking me to say designer now because I have a clothing line out. Oh, you did, but I saw that, that's amazing. I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable saying that I'm a designer. <laughs> I saw that on Instagram, was it Instagram? I saw it on Instagram yeah, and I was like, oh my God, she's got her own clothing it's, range. It's the, mo- it's the weirdest thing I've ever done. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a designer as well as an activist and an author. But I think comedian You've is You've changed, Sophie. I, I know, knew right? you when you were just I'm... a stand-up and listen to you now. <laughs> I know. 
Could British people hate people like Sophie, don't they? <laughs> I'm a designer and I'm an I'm activist. I'm a designer and influencer. Oh my God. Instagrammer. Absolutely. I thought. Guru, fitness guru. I was like, all the people I was on Strictly With, right, always have things. Like they're always on Instagram going, oh, look at my new. I thought, why don't I get anything? And I thought, I'm just, I'm going to be an influencer. That's what I'll do. I'll, yeah. be, an, I'll be an influencer. And I realised at that point, I'd lent over the table to get the remote control and I had beans on my boobs. <laughs> I'd lent into my lunch plate. And I thought, that's why I'm not an influencer. Well, you could you could um, promote beans, couldn't you? I've got Heinz bean boobs. Heinz bean boobs. <laughs> um, I've been on your podcast, Made of Human. Yeah, you have. It was some, thank you so much for doing it. They were like people's favourite episodes. People keep mentioning them to me. We managed to talk for about three hours, remember? Yeah. It had to be a two-parter. Yeah. I released, I think I released the first episode that same evening because I was like, this is incredible. This is, I need it to just be released now because it was so good. And we have talked previously about mental health and all of that kind of uh, malarkey. Um, I describe myself as someone fortunate enough to have depression, anxiety, control issues, just all the all the classics. Yeah. What's your What's your take on mental health? So I have uh, I had depression. I think I've always had anxiety. I don't. You know how you're like you never really. It's hard to say I don't have depression anymore. I don't see it anymore, but I guess it's it's probably still there somewhere. Uh, but I have anxiety. I have OCD, and I suffer from uh, complex PTSD. And I think it's called secondary trauma. No, it's not. The secondary PTSD, or like complex secondary PTSD, Some, something fun like that, mm-hmm. which uh, is also like a Venn diagram between that and then echoism, which is like a very new thing that doesn't really have an official definition yet. But there's like one book written about it, so it's still like a theory. I don't know all the fancy words for it. Uh, basically, uh, my brain is, <laughs> is is a fun place to be. <laughs> yeah, it's a busy old place yeah. in there. I've been in therapy for since I was 16, so I'm very, I'm very into the whole mental health thing. I'm in an exciting part of my journey now because... It's the first time I've had a proper diagnosis. So for all of the therapists I've had before this, none of them could figure out what this was. And I had, you know, one who was just like, I don't know what it is, so let's fix all the other stuff. I was like, fine. I had one who just did not get it. And she kept saying, like, it does make sense. Can you draw it? I was like, no, I've been trying to, you know, I have maybe 500 analogies for this thing that's happening in my head. And it wasn't until this, my, my my last psychologist, the one I'm seeing now, because then the the one I had before her would sort of gaslight me about it and be like, well, everyone feels like that. I'm like... I hate it when that... Yeah, I, it's yeah, the worst. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm pretty sure they don't, because then <laughs> why would they be alive? And then this one, uh, my new one, she's a trauma expert. So she was like, oh, I know what this is. And it's sort of complex PTSD with... But I this is... It, it weirdly sounds like I'm bragging, which I might be. Um, she said, most people who feel like this, like if the way I feel, my condition is constant, and that is very, 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 very abnormal. Most people who suffer from this will have it in like a three hour stint or maybe even a week, but then they'll always come back to whatever normal is or healthy or sane or whatever you'd call it. But I am constant. I've been constant in this state of mind for my entire life. She was like, the reason no one's believed you is because if when you say that to people, people will always go, yeah, but if that was true, you wouldn't function. Yeah. You wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't, 
you wouldn't get out of bed, you wouldn't be alive. So she was like, that's why no one's believed you. And that's why she was like, that's why this sounds so. So she kept asking me about it like again and again and again. I was like, yeah, I'm telling the truth. This is how I feel constantly all the time from when I wake up till I fall asleep all the time. And she was like, wow, okay. Well, then you don't make sense because mm-hmm. that shouldn't be possible for you to basically mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that's why people don't think I'm telling the truth about my anxiety, especially when it comes to travelling places or my anxiety about needing to know where I'm going all the time. Ben, the producer here, bless bless him. I mean, last night I was emailing because I didn't necessarily believe that today was happening. And I need someone to email me and say, no, today is happening. Yeah, you mean like and the what time schedule? is it happening? Yeah. And what, you know, and I tried to explain it to someone once and they said, that can't be true. And I said, no, I live in this state of anxiety the whole time. Mm. And that's my, that's my normal. My normal yeah. is living here on the ceiling. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to not live like that. Well, I've had, so my, my echoism is sort of, um, so I was about to ask you if it's okay if this gets dark, but I imagine. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely fine, Sophie. Go as dark so as you want. So because of some childhood trauma, yeah. uh, tiny little child me very, very quickly learned to shut off all emotions, like just to basically not exist because that was it was to exist was unsafe because the the adults couldn't be trusted and were horrible. I had a very abusive, a horrible grandfather, so I just went into this state of not existing, like not, like if I would draw myself, I'd just make like like a doodle, almost like a ghost. Like I'm not there, but all the other people were real people with arms and legs and stuff. Where I was just like not even present in my own drawings and stuff. So I was just like not there, and I'm and that's kind of how I've been my entire life. Like I'm never present uh but five times five times i've become present and this must sound well i know it sounds weird because so far only one therapist i've I've met understands this but basically i've had five instances where i suddenly snapped back into reality where i like suddenly felt like oh my god now i know i remember my memories Mm i i know what i like like, if you know, when you ask someone, what's your favorite color or what's your favorite memory from last Edinburgh or what's the best thing that's ever happened? What's your favorite Christmas? You know, it's just like random stuff like that. Most people will be able to like go into their brains and go, right, oh, what's my favorite Christmas? Hmm. Or, oh, I think my favorite color is purple. Or what do I feel like eating? I feel like, hmm, spaghetti or whatever. I don't have that. So if you ask me what's your favorite color, I just go, duh. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing because I don't exist. But five times in my life, I've snapped into it and suddenly felt like... Oh my God! I feel I'm. I feel my body. I'm. I know what I want to eat. You know, and the anxiety went away. The OCD went away. The depression went away because I was suddenly like alive and feeling my feelings. Mm-hmm. So I know what it's like to live like that, but I just don't because there were very short periods of time. Like what, one, what kind? What triggered you coming back into reality? Extreme feelings. So one was a breakup where I just came completely out of the blue and I was. Like just crying on his on his floor for twenty four hours. I couldn't leave his flat. I basically took him hostage. I was just like, ah, this can't be real. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, self harm. The first time was when I was sixteen. I self harmed, and suddenly I was. I mean, this is gonna. This sounds horrible, but if you have self harmed, you'll understand. It felt amazing. Of course, it's not a solution, and I, no one should do it because it's dangerous and stuff. But, oh, um, and then it was reading a self help book that, um, when I was eighteen, I was so ha- like I suddenly just. I broke. I was so happy. I broke up with my boyfriend, 
we were on holiday, five days into a 10-day holiday in London. And I was like, I'm breaking up with you. I'm going to go out and buy a dress goodbye. Mm-hmm. And he was like crying in the in bed. But I was so happy because I was breathing for the first time in my life. Um, and then it was like once for a few hours because a therapist said to me, I was told her the whole my whole life story. And she went, oh, that must have been hard. And it was almost like... Yeah. <gasps> so all these different scenarios of really extreme emotions. But I live on a day-to-day basis of... I don't really exist. Like it's re- like getting out of bed is so difficult. It is so difficult because I yeah I'm not really there. Yeah. Basically, there was something I didn't know about you, and you can tell me if you don't want to talk about mm-hmm. this at all. It was I think it was on a, a Facebook update or something. You were saying about I've seen you sometimes put. Does anyone want this cabinet? Yeah. <laughs> And I've always gone, gosh, she's got a lot of furniture, hasn't she? <laughs> and that's not actually what it is. No. And, but I didn't know this about you, that you sometimes have to get things out of your house. Well, it's two. Th- it's my OCD, so it's two things. I didn't know I had OCD before I just casually told my therapist about uh, my couch. Because I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, oh maybe oh, the couch is a bit big, isn't it? I have more space if I didn't have the couch. Maybe I should get rid of it. Maybe I should you know, put it on gum tree or whatever and that was like at 10 a.m in the morning by 10 p.m i was sitting on my bed like nails into my thighs just like get the couch out of my house and, and i was calling all these you know men with a van at like 1 a.m just going can you please please come and get the couch out of my house because i will die if it doesn't leave my house mm-hmm. and they were like no no it's 1 a.m i can't but they were like we can come at 6 a.m tomorrow i was like no it has to be now ended up calling a friend and i was like i'm I know you have like a wife and kids and a real life and I know it's 1am but could you by any chance come to my flat and carry a couch out onto the street and he, he did I, don't, I still don't know why but he did and then I could breathe again I was like oh god I'm a, and that happens sometimes uh, three weeks ago it was a chest of drawers that suddenly had to go and I had I got some stranger from Facebook Marketplace <laughs> to come and to carry it out. And I was like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. He was like, no, you're giving me free furniture. Like, I mm-hmm. should give you something. I was like, no, please just, just get it out. Just take it. Just take get it out. It out. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I had to get a new chest of drawers, like, really quickly because <laughs> I needed... And can you in any way, and I'm not asking you, if you can, it's not a problem because the irrational part of our brain, I think the irrational part of my brain is the most fascinating part. Mm. I'm a hugely rational human being the majority of my the time, mm. but the irrational part of my brain is the bit I have no idea what the hell is going on and I will irrationally my washing machine is leaking Sophie and I can't stop thinking about that washing machine and I want that washing machine fixed yeah and my wife keeps saying I'll get a plumber and she doesn't understand I can't sleep because of that washing machine I totally agree with that can, can can we get the washing machine fixed yeah so the irrational part of my brain is quite interesting. When you look at that, what it's difficult to try and describe. When you see the sofa or the chest drawers and you want it out, are you? Is there a fear? Is there a panic? What's happening in yeah, your it's, head? Yeah, it's panic. It's full. It's it's so overwhelming. It's like it takes up all the space in my head, in my life. It is everything. It becomes everything, and it's not sofa size. It's not chest drawer size. It is the whole. It takes up the whole room. And there's not there's nothing but the chest of drawers in the room, and I can't breathe because I'm basically lying underneath a huge chest of drawers, and I can't get out. Mm-hmm. That is how desperate it is, and I, you know, I just cannot. Yeah, I can't breathe. It feels like I can't psychologically breathe without the the piece of furniture gone. It could also just be moving things around in my room or reorganizing the 
like if I get it into my head, I need to reorganize the cupboard. That, that's just what I have to do. And then I have to just immediately get a lot of, I mean, storage things. Like one of the biggest things I need, you know, if if a, if a if there's too much in a drawer, oh, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can't, and also I can't handle anything being in a drawer where it doesn't make sense. Like it has to be, it all has to make some kind of sense. And it's, I mean, I know what it is. It's definitely just a fleeing from emotions because all emotions are scary, which is what. I learned when I was a child that feelings are really, really frightening and you should feel ashamed and you should feel guilty and, and they're dangerous and you can hurt people if you express your feelings and everyone will be very uh, mad at you or very sad if you express any kind of emotion. So they're so far away. So it's fear. That anxiety and fear is, you know, that's what feels so big that I can't breathe. It's actually because I'm part of me is super, super scared and sad all the time, which then becomes <laughs> a chest of drawers. One of the the things that I know, so after writing "Cheer Up, Love" about depression, I realised it's really tiring being this anxious. Oh, That's one of the things that people don't realise. They think there is a certain amount of wallowing in depression. I'll be honest; sometimes it's quite good, <laughs> but it's Jesus, it's tiring. It really yeah. is tiring living living. Uh, and my therapist said to me, "I'm essentially living. I'm essentially like an SAS commando." Emotionally, I'm ready to run or fight any time you like. I am always waiting for the next thing. That's tiring to live in a constant state of alert all the time, isn't it? The, the, I have no capacity to relax. Mm. Oh, yeah, no. That's, can't I relax. I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> I, can't, I can't honestly remember. My wife can sit on that sofa for 12 hours a day and I'll say to her, what are you thinking about? And she says nothing and she genuinely means it. I have never sat in my life and thought about nothing. Yeah, no, I'm always I can't do thinking them. about something. Oh yeah, there's always dangers out there. Well, my yeah. my therapist explained trauma to me in such a nice, comfortable way. She, I think we've all have, have you seen that YouTube video? There's like a lizard, and then it gets chased. Yes. And then once it realizes it's safe, it like shakes, like its whole body just shakes. And then, it keep, and then it just walks away. And she was like, that is what you do. You know, so you'll go around a corner and your friend will be like, boo. And then your whole body goes, mm-hmm. I'm going to die now. I'm going to die. And then you go, no, 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 it's okay. It's your friend. You're not in any danger. Everything's fine. And then you go, oh, and you kind of shake it off and then you're fine. Trauma is when you go, boom, and then nothing. And then you have that, oh, I'm going to die. And it's just in your body. So I'm seeing two therapists at the moment. I'm seeing this trauma expert who's like mm, trauma brain stuff talking therapy I think it's called and then I have a body therapist where I'm not really allowed to talk which is horrible you're not (laughs) I'm not allowed to talk it's just horrible it's horrible so she's a body trauma therapist she's very expensive I can only see her like once a month and she's like um so what she does is well, she hasn't done it yet because I'm incapable of doing it yet. But she goes, right, f- you know, feel your body. Try and be present in your body. You know, can you feel your knees? Feel your breathing. She's like, where are you tense? I'm like, I'm not tense. She's like, where are you tense? I'm like, oh, oh, my stomach. Okay. Where are you tense now? I'm not t- Oh, my legs. Okay. So I always have like a tension somewhere. And then she, like when you're in your body, she'll go, 
Now, what did it, how did it feel like when your grandfather did that? And then you have to, that feeling will come back into you and then you have to feel it through. So with every trauma you have in your life, you have to go back to the moment when you were like, <gasps> I'm going to die. Oh, wow. And then you have to go, it's okay. okay, we're safe, everything's fine. And then you shake it off. But you have to do that with like all the trauma. <laughs> so I, I've yet to go to her where my, I hadn't just shut down beforehand because I just can't. I, I'll be honest, that sounds absolutely terrifying. It's, uh, it's the that worst thing. terrifying. It's the worst thing I've ever had to do. It is so frightening, and I hate it. I hate it. And I've had all these irrational things about her where I've like, oh, no, I hate I hate her. She's just a horrible person, but she's, she's not. It's just my brain going, yeah, no, we don't want to. We really don't want to do this. Your book... Because you are an author, a designer. An author, designer, oh, influencer. Absolutely. <laughs> You're everything to everyone, Sophie. What's it? I mean, I know, I know what it's about. It's a great book. What, why did you write it? Instead of what's it about, why did you write it? Uh, I wrote the book, Happy Fat, because... I mean, I've always written. I wrote before I did anything else. And I've accumulated so much knowledge and opinions and resources and about fatness and I would so often get asked by people after my show or people on the internet like all the time people would ask the same kind of questions of uh, why do you call yourself fat or how do I learn to love my body or but isn't it unhealthy or you know it's the same questions every single time and for a while I was like yeah but I can't say much new because these questions have all been answered since the early 1970s. But still, there were still so many people who were never going to read those books. And I was like, I have, a, I have a fairly big audience compared to most people. So maybe I should just like write it. And then I thought it was going to be really serious. But then I was so fortunate that it became funny as well which it would have been horrible if it had just been serious and dark but then I was like okay well I think I'm the only comedian who knows all this stuff about fatness so maybe that maybe there is something I can contribute with of all the things that um, I get on social media of which I get many many things um, how I look is the major thing mm. that people will immediately go to mm. um, I, I, one of the, my the things I hate most of all is people say you look like when everyone says you look like they'll put a picture of someone and it's not a flattering thing no it's never a flattering <laughs> thing no lol and you go that's not very good at all it's not funny no and it really it's very difficult to explain to people I, I did a show I, can't, I never watch myself on television because I can't oh, I hate that yeah. watch myself but how we look is of interest to everybody, according to them, is it not? They, they, it's the go-to. Th- like w- women are taught to that their value is in the way they look, so that is the first place they will go to make you sad. Like that's the one, that's the one thing where they're like, "Ha ha! If you're ugly, then there's no reason for you to even exist." Because a fat person or an unattractive person can't attract a man and if you can't attract a man then you are worthless what is your point why are you on earth you know uh, so they'll be like um oh, i wouldn't fuck you 
you're like, who? And you look at their profile. They're like a 21-year-old from Michigan. You're like, I mean, even if you did want to, it probably wouldn't happen. Like, but you wouldn't have a say in it, though. The point is that we don't have a say in it. No, not at all. They, they can express our attractiveness without us asking. Yeah. I literally don't need to know whether or not I'm fuckable, according to anyone who's watched <laughs> any programmes I've ever done. That is not... When I'm standing there attempting to present a show about Scotland or dancing on Strictly... I am not thinking, God, I hope people are aroused by what's <laughs> happening here. That's not what I'm thinking about. I really couldn't, I really couldn't care less. I really couldn't care less. I did this thing yesterday, which is another kind of semi-obsessive thing, compulsive thing. I couldn't sleep because of it. Where I, um, some guy put a, like an a, um, emoji that throws up under one of my pictures, which is like a common, it's like the most lazy trolling, but they do that sometimes. And I think that, I, for some reason, I think that's worse than words sometimes. I'm like, that's really annoying. So I looked at his profile, and then I looked at his profile for an hour. His profile, mm-hmm. his mother's profile, his brother's profile. <clears throat> He's a, a kid from, not even a kid, like a young adult from Michigan. And uh, his, uh, <laughs> I mean, I just looked through his whole life, and I look, went back through his timeline. And he was fairly happy two years ago. He seemed to have, like, a lot of friends. All of his posts got, like, comments and stuff. And then, like, there was, like, a tragedy that happened on his street. He saw something quite traumatic. He lost his dog that he'd had for 10 years. I mean, I was crying in bed looking at his posts about this dog because it was so sad. You know, he got a new dog, but she wasn't really, you know, getting along with his mother. And, you know, his mother was a bit of a bigot but like not really because he had a lot of thoughts about transgender people but they were actually like oh I don't mind people having uh, I don't actually mind that people have the, whatever gender they say they have blah, blah, blah. oh I just wish they wouldn't wear pink lipstick because that doesn't suit anyone <laughs> like, right. oh, she's, mm-hmm. what a strange character his brother looks really happy travels a lot has this uh, amazing uh, girlfriend and just has a lot of comments under his foot I, was just, I, got, I went full into this guy's post and his and then there was a photo he put up where he put un, unflattering photo of himself and he was a, he's fat himself and then his mother wrote this is not good like as a comment and he wrote I know that's why I put it up I was like oh. and then a few days later he posted a, stat- a status saying I'm on day five of the uh, only water diet and I need encouragement because I don't know if I can do this and suddenly he had more comments than he'd ever had before from all these women who were like cheer- dressed like cheerleaders in the photos like these gorgeous women and they were all like oh well, t- well done you should do it. yeah you can do it uh, just keep on you're so cool you're so good yeah you can and I was just I was just so fully engrossed in this guy's life I was like wow he's a really sad person he's really sad he doesn't like how he looks his mother tells him that he doesn't look that good he's only ever encouraged by anyone he only ever has friends when you know when he says he wants to lose weight and then suddenly everyone has everyone's his friend you know and I was just I this this probably sounds like really bad. It sounds like I'm that guy from that Netflix show, You. But I was just like, wow, this is so much bigger, you know, for us. And we don't obviously don't have time, and not, nor should we look up all the trolls because <laughs> that would take a lot of time and be very boring. But also, it's just like, wow, there's a whole person somewhere who somehow found my yeah. picture of me next to a text, like me in a bathing suit, me saying, I look amazing. I love my body. I'm fat and happy. And then he starts. Like he's gotten it's been really an explosion. Sad. It's been an explosion in yeah. him of all of the factors that have yeah. that has led to it. Yeah, of course, of course, fuck me. You know, of course, oh, 
Mm-hmm. Why the f- oh fuck you? Fuck mm-hmm. you for being happy and fat and yeah. you know living your life and you know when he's like according to his profile pictures he's always in the dark, <laughs> you know. And I kind of get it. And we're all just people, and then we just mistakenly take it out on each other instead of on the people whose fault it is. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of my like. If there's one thing I want to say with the book, if there's one thing I want to say in general about body stuff, it's that we need to stop making it about us because it's not about us. You know, it's not. We so want to blame each other. It's like we talk about trolls instead of talking about the platforms that allow trolls to keep abusing women. So we always like, oh, how do we fix the trolls? The trolls are humans too. The trolls were... But Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter allow them to exist and we report it. I have complained, I think, more times than I can remember. And never has one single one Mm. of the tweets they've sent to me violated their code. Yeah, not one. Not a single one. No. And I've, you know, so I do report them. Yeah. But I've never had a single complaint upheld. Yeah. uh, No matter what it is that's been sent to me. And then you get that condescending email from them saying, sometimes something is within a context. Yeah. Yeah, I had one and it was a guy who was very homophobic, violent tweets, a string of them, and it didn't violate their Twitter code. So one of the things I think, I think the body image is, it's a fascinating, it's a thing I struggle with, I've struggled with all my life. Because I think from a very early age, we're indoctrinated into the fact that it's important. So if you lose weight, it was the most difficult thing for me after Strictly. Because I lost weight. And everyone went, oh, my God, you look so amazing, mm. Susan. Oh, my God, you look fantastic. And I was like, Christ, what did you think I looked like before? Mm. And the fact that everyone kept going on about how gorgeous I looked because I'd lost the weight. It wasn't a huge amount of weight. And it, was, it was, wasn't deliberate. It was just because I was dancing for nine mm. hours a day. It was really tough. Yeah. Because it played into every single one of my fears that because I was fat, no one liked me. And then I lost weight and everyone liked me. But from a very early age, in an office or at school, oh, you've lost weight, you look fantastic. It's what being thin is for a lot of people, I don't want to say everyone, for a lot of people, the most important thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, there are surveys, there are studies. People would rather lose a limb. People would rather be blind. People would rather have painful acne. People would rather lose 10 years of their life. The studies shown that people, people fear it more than... And you can see, even when you talk, I did a TV thing where the runner, we were walking through the dressing room and she said, um, she said oh, I, I love your jumpsuit. Where'd you get it from? And I was like, oh, ASOS. And she said, oh, I don't like ASOS. There are too many things. There's just too many pages of clothes. And I said, oh, you should try being fat because then there's only like two yeah. or three. And she went, no, no, oh, don't, don't say that. No, don't say that about yourself. Like she was so... As if I'd said that I was going to start World War Three. Like, don't, no, no. Don't you say that don't, about yourself. Don't, don't say it about yourself. No. I was like, I mean, we, it doesn't matter how emotional you get. It doesn't matter how um, how much you say, no, I'm still going to be a size 28. That's not going to change anything. Now you've just silenced it so that I can't talk about my experience, which is, oh, I actually find it really tough finding clothes anywhere. And you didn't know that was your privilege and you don't really want to acknowledge that. But actually do acknowledge that, you know, feel that discomfort that is, oh, oh, wow, I have the opposite problem of what you have because you, you know, your your body is so abhorrent that if you say if you say the descriptive word that suits your body, I will shut you down and go, no, no. Like, wow, that is imagine 
imagine that, like just saying who you are, going, no, I'm a brunette. No, <laughs> don't say that about yourself. You're blonde. You're like, I'm not, though. Like, I have brown hair. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So it's, it's, a, it's just a gen... I mean, I'm a... I've gone to photo shoots. I find it embarrassing. I find it embarrassing sometimes, me. Photo shoots. Well, you turn up. I did one. And I told them my size. I told them my size. And I was doing a photo shoot with two other women who were six, size six, size eight. And that's all they'd bought the clothes. So they are there having their photograph taken, having a lovely time. Mm. I've got a woman trying to put a bulldog clip at the back or <laughs> or sew me up or do something because I'm wearing the wrong clothes. Yeah. Because they haven't... Because... And this happens all the time. I, I had a stylist. I had to get clothes for something. And they couldn't get my size because they don't lend plus size. Mm. So you can't get clothes for things. And it's embarrassing to stand... Well, people are discussing how you look over there. Well, we just don't have the size. I mean, she's bigger than we thought. And you go, Whew. and it's. Mm. It, I find it. I find it very difficult. The thing I find most difficult. Sorry, I'm using it as therapy. That's okay. <laughs> I exercise five times a week, and people laugh when I say that. Because why am I fat? Because I should be thin. Yeah, and people the, judge, the judgments—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's an extraordinary thing. The judgments that people make, isn't it? Yeah, well, people think people so mistakenly think that you can look at someone and tell how they live their life. You, they think you can—they can look at someone and go, right. So what you do is you eat pizza all day and uh, you never exercise, and also you're probably unintelligent and uh, asexual and well, desexual. And you're uh, miserable, and you hate yourself, and you want to be thin, and they just look at you and assume all of that. But let you... me no, before you go on. Let me. This mm? is this is one of the most interesting things about what you do, which is saying you are happy the way that you are. Mm. Talk to me about that because that's one of the things. It's extraordinary how angry people get mm. when you say that you are happy the way that you are. Well, there's um, Jess Baker, who's written two amazing books about this. She describes it as body currency. And it's this idea that we put so much effort and so much time and so much money into becoming thin or staying thin, right? So, I mean, I've I found 32 diet books in my mother's basement, right? Like, it was my entire life for 14 years. It was all I did was try to lose weight. I was eight years old, tried to lose weight. And it was, it's you know, it's just being hungry for 14 years, right? And 
so we, we do that and we kind of have a subconscious or maybe conscious idea of how much we put into it. All because we want to be thin and we think that thin equals happy, uh, thin equals loved, success. I found a list of me when I was 12 about when I'm thin, I will be. And it was this list of 10 things. One of them was like, when I am thin, I can... Um, I can kiss a lesbian. <laughs> you can do that right now, Sophie. I'm not averse to that. You know I'm always well, available. You when I was, well, maybe not when I was 12. But no, no, again, that's going slightly weird. Right? Enough, I'm sorry. offering it right now. But I had all, these, <laughs> had all these ideas of like, I'll be able to wear trousers. I'll be able, my, uh, my family will be proud of me. All these ideas that had nothing to do with size. It but was just, val- you're putting a value on being you thin, think aren't you? You're thin putting equals, a value. Yeah, yeah, good and happy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So... When someone comes in and goes, so you, you have an idea of how much money basically you've spent on trying to be thin. And it's a lot of money. It's one of the biggest industries in the world. So when someone comes in and goes, oh, yeah, all that stuff that you're saving up for, that you're fighting for, that you're working hard for. Yeah, I got that for free. I'm actually really happy and I'm loved and I'm beautiful and I have sex and I'm kissing lesbians. Like, I'm doing great. She certainly is right now. It's happening right now. I'm just professional enough to carry on podcasting while it's happening. You're very talented. I am a very talented. I'm a designer. I'm an influencer. <laughs> but, but people, but people so, so don't it's, understand. So it's not like someone saying, you know, that whole savings you have, all those money, they're suddenly yeah. worthless. Like, that's the anger that people come with when you're like, actually, you don't have to be thin to be happy because people have tried so hard to... The people who I get the worst amount of, like, bullying from online, harassment, are people who have, like, fitness profiles. People whose entire life is being into fitness. But they also think... Because I've seen this, because I've seen this, because I remember I tweeted you once and you said... Uh, you, you said something like, don't tweet me about this because they'll come after you because you've got a series of people that come, oh, yeah. come after you. That they they think you're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle, that <laughs> yeah. you're dangerous yeah. because you're telling people. Yeah. And and so much of it is about that. I think there was a story in the newspaper today actually about obesity is the biggest killer above anything else in <sighs> in the world ever. And so... They personally target you for promoting what they think is yeah. an unhealthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, but that—I mean—that that that headline in that newspaper was also a headline in a newspaper in 1972, and then about 13 books and study. Well, no, 13 books was written, hundreds and hundreds of studies, hundreds of articles, think pieces, documentaries were created in order to kill this myth that obesity equals death, and um, they don't care. Because it's not about that. No one actually cares about the fact, which is there is a correlation between fatness and uh, higher mortality, but it's not that much. And also it, it's not proven that it, that is the cause of it. There's a correlation between a lot of things, that uh, like uh, people being taller people also die earlier. But is that because they're tall or is that because of whatever other variety of reasons there could be? Uh, it is not about health. Uh, people do not have the same reaction to anyone else who's sick. No one uh, has the same... I mean, I know smokers get a bit, but not at all as much. Uh, people who do... People who drink every weekend, people who do drugs, people who... All other sort of what you deem to be unhealthy behavior, they don't get that. It's because you hate fat people. It's because they hate fat people. That is the only reason, because I have brought out... In my book, I have a whole health chapter, which I'm not the first one to write. There's loads of loads of people who've done this before. Of like, just, you know... Because then when you say to them, right, okay, let's say, let's imagine that fat is unhealthy. Let's imagine that's true. It's not, but let's imagine. Uh, do you know what would help people 
feel better and not die is if you treated them really well and you treat them with respect and you stop discriminating against them and if you made sure they got proper health care and didn't have a doctor who said well you should just lose weight when you had like a sore finger because which is what happens you know most people with uh, tumors in their stomach if they're fat they don't get discovered until it's too late and then they die maybe that's why we keep dying because you keep killing us but if you say to them like you know what also a huge killer is stress and you know what really causes stress discrimination then people just be like, ah, well, fuck you, you're fat and disgusting. You're like, okay, so maybe you actually don't care about my health. Maybe you just don't want me to exist and be fat. That is the only reason people go on about health. People think they care, but they don't. Because, I mean, you can, as you say, you go to the gym five times a week. There's loads of like uh, famous yoga instructors who are fat. There's like a marathon runner who's fat. There's uh, well, loads of marathon runners who are fat. Um, there were, um, was it this year's London Marathon? where the fat runners got shouted at by some construction workers or like the people, some, there were some people who were yep. abusing the fat. Like, what do you want us to do then? Yeah. Oh, you should get healthy, right? I'm going to go for a run. Fuck you, bitch. Okay, right. What do you want? Because I, I mean, um, I go to the gym. I have to, I didn't go last night and I already feel it. My mental health, it's for my mental health because I, it's my one hour where I'm not, you know when I said I can never stop thinking? Mm. That's my, that's the only thing that stops me thinking is hardcore, horrific exercise that makes me want to vomit. It's the only thing that stops me thinking. And, and it gives me a break from my set, from my own head mm. for 55 minutes when I'm doing body combat and I'm pretending to punch someone I hate in the face. <laughs> One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because I find it not confusing, but I don't understand it. I hate online disputes now. Mm. I hate it. I can't function. Mm. I get an old-fashioned trigger warning if somebody <laughs> has a go at me because I, I have had it to a certain extent before and I cannot cope with it. Mm. It came creeping into my real life to such an extent that I am traumatised mm. by it. What you do in talking about these things, writing the book about it, but also challenging online things that you see, how do you do that, Sophie? How do you how do you function as someone you've admitted that you have mental health issues? Yeah, which makes things difficult. Yeah, how the how the hell do you do this? I so I was I was raised by um, <laughs> my mother is very Danish. She's very rational. Everything was about logic. I've been raised to have a very realistic, objective, logic, rational. <laughs> Um, view on of the world and a very strong sense of injustice. I staged a sit-in when I was six years old in my school because I just one I just was against something the teacher had done, so I made everyone protest. So I've, and that's been my whole I've, every single ever ever since I was six I've been protesting and questioning authority. And my mom has I said to her recently I said oh thank you for always being on my side when. You were called to the principal's office to because I'd done something, <laughs> staged a protest, and she said, "Well, of course, I wouldn't want to raise you to respect authority." So that's pretty <laughs> much my upbringing. It's this very like fight the system, fight the system. So when I realized when I was twenty one that it's the system that makes us hate our bodies, it's not a fact. Um, everything clicked into place, and I felt like fighting it. And so I have this very—I mean, my grandfather was a psychopath, is a psychopath, and. I believe there is a part of me that can, there's a place inside of me that I can go when I need to that has an air of that, 
which is a scary thing to say, and it's not something I'm proud of, but it's something that I think I've had to do in order to survive. So when it comes to right or wrong, that's also factually wrong, but also morally wrong, I can sort of turn off a lot of the discomfort and be like, if someone says you're fat online, well, I am, so so what? If they say you're not funny, I can be like, well, I am, so you're wrong. So this doesn't bother me. Um, it's the same with reviews to a certain extent. Of course, I can get a bit like emotional about reviews, but in general, if their review is true, objection, objectively true, like, oh, the middle bit was lacking, I can look at the show objectively and go, oh, it was, it is actually. I hadn't seen that before now. That is true, so the three-star review is fair. Or if it's um, unfair, I can be like, well, then it doesn't apply to me because it's wrong. What they're saying is wrong. And I can't. I put that same thing into the trolls where I go, well, they're either wrong or they're right. And so far, none of them have said anything right that's because they're not intelligent. You know, they couldn't figure out exactly what to say to um, to nail. Um, <laughs> like there was someone in my tour show who said that I was wrong about a fact I'd said about Westlife. And I got <laughs> genuinely offended. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Excuse me. It's like, well, yeah. that's the first time I've been really annoyed by something. Yeah, said. of course I know about I waste like, life. No, right? I, yeah, and I was like, they were born in this on the 1970s. I was gonna. I mean, this is the the thing, and I'm gonna be quite brutally honest just now. I, I've had many comedians on this podcast who've talked about how great comedy is, and we're so glad we're doing comedy, and it saved their life, and it was amazing. The comedy <laughs> industry, though, the disdain in your voice. The comedy, being honest about the comedy industry. Let's not pretend it's some form of halcyon land of rainbows and no. lollipops. <laughs> you know, you just need to look at using an example that everyone knows about, so we don't get into trouble. Louis C.K. Mm. Louis C.K. Mm. and his behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know about it, I would suggest you Google it. Um, mm. He admitted um, basically, uh, I'm going to say sexual acts, because that's what we're doing in the BBC News, uh, in front of women, often whether they liked it or not, yeah. I think. He would ask their permission but not really care about it. Yeah. And after a brief stint away, he's come back and is doing shows and mm. moaning about how much work he's lost because mm. of it. Yeah. So the misogyny in the comedy industry mm. is something which I... Uh, is there... <laughs> yeah. So I'd be quite interested just to talk to you about that. That we're saying it is a better industry than some for us, but let's face it, there are still issues. I love comedy, you know, like comedy. I love jokes. I love shows. I love performing. I love, I love comedians that are the ones I like. I like yes. their comedians. <laughs> the ones side I like are nice. The ones <laughs> yeah. I don't like are bastards. But I yeah. feel home with comedians. I feel it's actually only in the past couple of years I felt. Like comedy isn't that much of a home anymore because now there are outright right-wing comedians who are proudly right-wing comedians who do very, very damaging material. Comedians have always done damaging material. We just, a lot of us just didn't really know that it was damaging and now we've all learned and we've been like, oh, yeah, I don't make those jokes anymore. Good. But then they've, you know, they've doing their free speech gigs and... Mm -hmm. And they're doing all these YouTube videos, which are just so hateful about all the marginalized groups of people. And I feel like I was flipping through the um, reading through the uh, Edinburgh French brochure, and there were like shows that were just like describing themselves as like free speech. I'm a white guy, and that's okay, kind of thing. And I think that is so scary and so sad because I'm like, comedy's not for you. 
comedy's not for you. That's not what this is. Comedy's about sharing and about being vulnerable and about saying the things that actually needs to be said and no one needs to say that it's not okay to be gay or whatever, not mm-hmm. okay to be fat. So I think the more I've become aware of, I guess, social, socio-political stuff, the more I'm aware of, and not just being aware of what's right and wrong, but also what's like how, what the damage of that is. Like a, there was a, um, a person who came up to me after my gig two years ago in Edinburgh, and she said, um, oh, I just, I, I needed to laugh because I went to see this other show and she mentioned this show that that year was huge. Everyone was talking about it, praising the show. And she said the comedian did a, like a s- sarcastic uh, anti-gay joke, a homophobic joke. Mm. And she said I-, I was the only one in the audience who looked visibly queer. And as and everyone stared at her when he made this sarcastic, ironic, uh, homophobic joke. And then she said as I was leaving, two guys in the audience called me a homophobic slur, but not in any ironic way and that that same that's and I saw that show and he did the same about fat people and I was just like this is so painful because he's still being praised as a liberal comedian like a good left-wing comedian but this is this has actual physical damage this is actually damaging I've seen doctor like comedians who are also doctors doing anti-fat jokes about their fat patients which is directly responsible for me postponing doctor visits because I don't know what they're going to think. What are the odds I'm going to go in and like get half naked and complain about something? And now I've heard someone say on stage yeah. what they might be thinking, and that's it. Not- yeah, it's 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 a interesting. I went to see a show at the Fringe um, a, a few years ago, and I always watch comedy in a way that comedians watch comedy because we go, oh yeah, all right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we're not. I'm not engaged. I am engaged, but I'm engaged on a different level. So mm. the comedian on stage made a fat joke. Mm. And there were three women in front of me. Um, they were similar size, larger than me, whatever, laughing away. And I wanted to go, it's you. Mm. He's laughing at you. Mm. You do know that, don't you? He's just made a joke about you. Mm. A hideous joke about you. And me, I went because my wife said we had to go <laughs> because she, she wanted to see what it was. it was like. And the difficulty is I stopped doing club gigs mm. for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jeremy Hardy told me to stop okay. because I wasn't enjoying it. And he said, yeah. well, stop doing it. Yeah. And it was because I was comparing a night at a comedy club. And a compare, if you don't know, if you're listening to this, has to be relentlessly cheerful, really. Yeah. We're the ones that go, hey, and next up, and if someone dies, you bring the audience up. And I, there were racist homophobics. And I thought, I can't go on stage after this. Yeah. And go, wasn't he amazing? Yeah. And I thought I can't do it. It's tra- it's it, it's traumatic for me. And then to sit backstage with people arguing that Section Twenty never damaged anyone in this country, because they didn't know any gay people, and the Daily Mail suggesting that we're all liberal snowflakes is it's wrong. It's actually mm. wrong. The, our community mm. has a similar amount of. Mm. Racist, homophobes, tra- mm. you know, whatever you want. And actually the fringe is an interesting time because it kind of bubbles to the surface, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It's so... I find with fat jokes, the worst thing, and it only occurred to me recently why it was so bad, the people who do fat jokes, they never say you. They say they. Yeah. You know how fat people they. And that's worse. If they had just had the fucking balls to say you, even if it's abusive, whatever... 
They can't even say you. They're not even assuming you're there. Uh-huh. And that I'm like, you know, because you hear sexist jokes where they go, "Oh, you women, you're like this, right?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is still oh, that's bad. really interesting. In the it's, pronoun, isn't it? It's isn't still it? bad, yes. but if they said the women they are. Like the feeling you would then have in your body of like, wait, am I not even in the fucking room? I had to follow a comedian who uh, who did a uh, something about the Olympics. Like, oh, there's apparently fat people in the Olympics. <laughs> what are, what are they competing in? <laughs> Pie eating contest, something like that. And then I was on next. So it was like, yeah, what is this, Sophie? And I saw like this room, 400 people, and I saw like f- at least four fat women, or people who, um, fat people. And then you have that, you know, the, the, the whole room had exploded with laughter at this, right? So what do you do? Do you go, oh, hey, just do my regular jokes? Because you've just laughed at me. The whole room has just laughed at my existence. So what do I do? Do I play to the four fat people and kind of go, hey, we're okay, and then die on my ass and do a bad job? Or do I, and I did. that's what I did. I just went like, did like an old joke where I basically ended up calling him a cunt. And of course the room didn't laugh because they just accepted his premise that, oh, it is embarrassing and horrible to be fat, so why is this funny? And then he later DM'd me and said if I could plug his Soho run because he wasn't selling tickets. And I went, well, I can't because all of you know my followers are people who don't think it's a joke to be fat. Yeah. So I, I would be lying if I sent them to go and see your show and then they would hear jokes like that. So no, I can't plug your show. I did something um, once. My first headline said, so I had to sit through everyone else's stuff. And the comedian before me was a gentleman who made a number of jokes about shagging a fat bird and she was gagging for it because she was so fat, mm. she was just delighted to have of sex course. with anyone. Yeah. Now, I think I'd had a couple of drinks, Sophie, by that point. <laughs> I don't really drink anymore, but I did drink at that point. And the audience were loving it. They were loving it. And I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening. OK, right, OK. So I went on stage for the headline and told a story about, I think it was fingering a fat bird beside a skip while she was eating chips mm. and she was loving it and she was you know and there was complete silence in the audience and I was like what's wrong you you were loving it earlier on is is there something making you uncomfortable here that's amazing because I was like I hated that audience yeah yeah for laughing at that yeah. and then when I went on and did it because I wasn't a bloke talking yeah. about it they all went oh that's horrific and I was like what uh-huh. sorry I don't I don't understand something changed yeah. because earlier on that was hilarious to you so it was quite a short headline set, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but I was so I was so angry at them laughing yeah. at that. And then I was gonna go on after yeah. as if nothing has happened. Yeah, and just be like as do your self deprecating yeah. Oh yeah, I also know I'm proud of such a short Scottish woman. And actually that was quite an interesting change in my psyche of hang on hang on a second. And it's uh, it's one of the most difficult reasons why it's one of the reasons I don't do stand up anymore, Sophie, because people think I'm a, a, that nice lady from the telly. Mm. And actually, in stand up terms, I'm a very, I'm a very angry woman. Mm. I'm very angry about everything. Yeah. And I worry that the audience will get a fright <laughs> when they come and see the nice lady from the telly. And actually, all I'm doing is shouting about things because I, I feel so angry. That, I kind of want them to feel uncomfortable. I have, I have sort of not the same, but. A lot of my audience assume that I'm really nice, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I, I'm not nice. I just have fat cheeks. I look nice. Like it's not the same thing. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like, do you know? It's because I'm so short. People think I'm adorable. People yeah. ruffle my hair. Yeah. And yeah. they think they hug me like I'm a toddler. 
Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet, aren't you? And it just makes me want to kill them. But I think the difference between us and our situation is that you are playing to people who don't already know. Like, I'm playing very much to people who know what I'm going to be saying. I mean, it's an echo chamber that other people would say that's a criticism. Whereas I say it as a lot of the people I do comedy for don't have do many you don't have, people. Do you don't have any other safe spaces, though? When you d- I, it's never a safe space. I'm very scared of saying safe space because no, there's no such thing as safe spaces. Uh, it can be very damaging for people to assume. That's absolutely right. Because the, yeah. anything could be a, a yeah. difficulty. And I don't what, want people to let their guards down because What you do try and do, though, to be but fair... Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm trying to make it... I'm trying to make it so that people who usually don't have a... who usually wouldn't go and see comedy or who usually wouldn't be included in most things, uh, I'm trying to make it as inclusive as I can. But that's not to say... Which is sort of, so I had a whole tour that was anxiety safe, meaning they could message me if they had an anxiety, like I need to get into the room before everyone else, or do you say the word banana or anything like that. They could email me and I could answer them. Um, I made every venue, made sure every every venue had gender neutral toilets and was wheelchair accessible. But that means, and it was great, it worked really well, it was very good. But that means that now, and also I had a trigger warning for that show, but that was only because the show started with me saying, so my uh, grandfather was emotionally abusive. So, you know, it didn't matter that I tr- that they knew that already because that was the first line. Where my other two shows were about anxiety and depression, I didn't have a trigger warning because I wouldn't talk about that till two-thirds of the way into the show. So the fear is now I'm doing a new show. There's no trigger warning. Uh, not as in there shouldn't be one, but I don't use it. Uh, I also can't promise that every venue is wheelchair accessible, has generous alternatives. Yep. I can just make sure that I've definitely asked and hope that they've said yes. And if not, you know. Yeah. So the fear is that people come to my shows now expecting it to be a safe space or expecting it to be have genital toilets or expect, you know, I had someone say, ask me if I had told the venue staff in Edinburgh to not assume anyone's gender. And I was like, no, I no, I haven't. I mean, I can try, but... It's the fringe, and it's going to be new people every day, and I, I can't promise you that someone won't fuck up. Yeah. I can't promise you that I won't fuck up. You know, mm-hmm. I did a Q&A in my last tour, my book tour, and I would sometimes, because you're on stage and your mind is racing and you're having to think of 17 different things, like, what's the time? Uh, have you answered that question before? What did you do? And then you'll point to someone and say, yeah, what's your question? Uh, yeah, the woman in blue. Yes, I know. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And that's just because we're human and we, you know... Um, so I can't. I really don't want people to think that from now on going to my gigs is just going to make them feel really, really good all the time. Because it won't necessarily. No, I no. can't promise, but I can promise no. I'll try. Uh, I just want to say because I had a, t- uh, a BBC host presenter thing last week, a few weeks ago, say, um, "Well, it doesn't sound like uh, you're trying to be that inclusive towards like right wing people." And I don't think they could come to your shows and feel safe. I was like, "Yeah, no, they can't. They absolutely cannot." <laughs> They can absolutely fuck off. I do not give a shit. I always give my guests the the final statement. Anything you want to say. Anything oh at my all. god. Anything you want to say about anything. Anything at all. Whatever's on your mind just now. It's a snapshot in time. A podcast. Okay. What's on my mind a lot is um, I'm very tired of politics, and what I'm tired of, I'm very tired of talking to other left wing activisty socialist people with you know who are and it's not my word to use like woke in lack of better word people about how right we are and how uh, factually correct all of our opinions are 
and how wrong mm. the right wing are and how much they're lying. And because that has been the discourse for uh, four years now, hasn't it? Of But he lied. There were not that many people at the inauguration. And then we feel really clever and we feel like we've won because we're like pointing out all the facts. I'm doing it with my activism with um, fat doesn't equal uh, cancer. Fat doesn't mean that you're unhealthy and boom. And also all people are equal and everyone should have equal rights. And discrimination kills and actually uh, immigration is can be good and blah, blah, blah. And we just go in circles and circles going, we're right, but we're right. And we are. We're factually correct. Everything that we believe in is based on facts and it's based on um, science and it's the truth. And then we somehow keep trying to fight the right with truth and they have never given a fuck. It's never been about facts. It's been about uh, just opinions and feelings. Yeah. It's just them saying, well, there were that many people at the inauguration. And then all of his supporters go, mm-hmm, yeah. And then that's just it. And they just ignore it. It's like yeah. my seven-year-old niece. Yeah. You can say something to her and she go, yeah, sure. And then she just walks on. It's like, no, yeah. I just had a conversation with yeah. you about I am something. Right. I yes. am right about this. I am right. And we can't keep saying, but we are right. But this is fact. And da, da, da. Because it's not working. We, we're trying to use our empathy. We're trying to use our intelligence. And that won't work on them because they're neither of those things. So if we have to actually fight them, we can't just sit and talk to each other about how right we are and how clever we are and how... All the statistics are on our side because by the time we've uh, patted ourselves on the back for being so right about everything, they've started World War Three. So we need another another way to beat them. And so far, what we've been doing by being really nice and being really clever and being civil has not been working. So I think my final statement is uh, punch Nazis. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Oh, my dear God in heaven. I mean, that's the trailer, Ben. Yeah, you can't, ed- you can't edit that out. That's that's the trailer. Yeah. Uh, Sophie, um, I know you. Um, <laughs> if people don't know you, tell me. I don't know why I'm doing this like a sexy voice. I don't know why I'm doing it like, oh, carry on. Sophie, yes, how, can, so. how, can, <laughs> how can people find out more about you? Where should they go to? I'm so happy you asked, Susan. <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> Uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. So being with an F, so F I E H A G E N. Yeah, uh, but I think the main thing is signing up for my newsletter because that's where I won't be silenced. Um, I will not be silenced. <laughs> but this newsletter is coming out no matter what happens. <laughs> but people listening will be into podcasts, and that's like one of my main. Big oh yes, loves. you've got made of human. So I've made of human a conversational. Part. You should definitely listen. If you, I mean, people listening will like you, so if you listen to your episode of it, because it's. <laughs> no, you never know. Not anymore. Not after Maybe this episode. Maybe people are just sitting there. I imagine people sometimes who don't like me sitting like in a bath full of salt, just scrubbing themselves <laughs> so it's extra painful. I hate Susan. I hate you know what I mean just for extra but then you'll absolutely love that I have so many hours of you on my podcast <laughs> three hours long yes. and uh, then I have a new podcast called Secret Dinosaur Cult which is great have you heard it of course oh I have oh my god thank you I love it it's like a live comedy podcast about daddy issues and trauma and queer stuff and non-binary stuff and dinosaurs I mean <laughs> Sophie it's been a pleasure as always thank you so much I for was having just doing, me that's, my, that's me snapping into Kirsty work. Sophie, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. For no, that's Lenny and Kelly. Okay. Thank you very much for having me. Oh no, thank you. you. Just edit that in whenever you've said yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me as we kissed. <laughs> as we kissed in a podcast studio. My last Off of TV Centre. <laughs> thank you very much, Sophie Hagen. 
Thank you for listening to Mrs Brightside. If you like the show, why not subscribe? We're available everywhere you can download podcasts. And if you've already subscribed, why not tell a friend? Next week, I'll be talking to Scotty. I am literally making this up. I got expelled from school when I was 14, never went back to education, never went to university, have blagged my way into this room to have a chat with you. Yeah. So... I mean, it's like an audience with a queen, I'll be very honest with you. <laughs> a lot of people have tried to get into this room and have failed. I mean, many a time people meet me have said it's an audience with a queen, <laughs> <Yes>. but... <laughs> Susan Kalman's Mrs Brightside is hosted, appropriately enough, by me, Susan Kalman. The producer is Benjamin Sutton and is a BBC Studios production for Acast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.